Hi, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mark Hoskins from Big Stone Gap, Virginia, uh, born and raised there 57, year, uh, 57 years ago, living in Atlanta, Georgia, Marietta, Georgia, for, uh, for that fact, teaching in Cobb County in the year 23, enjoying life, even though we have this COVID thing going on, making the most of it, talking to my friend Daniel Montoya, Jr. How's that? Welcome to Sketchbook Podcast, a discussion about creativity, preparation, and effort with artists, creators, and educators. As always, I'm your host, Daniel Montoya Jr., and Mark pretty much gave his whole bio, so that's the end of the podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Mark, you and I met, I don't know if we met like on the on the field or something, but you uh, you were a DCI judge for a, for open class a, a few years, I think, and you got to see one of the groups I write for, and you, you gave us good scores, so that meant that I liked you, um, unlike <laughs> unlike other brass judges they you know they just didn't oh, get no. it they you know i i don't know maybe they just didn't understand kanye west do you do you relate to kanye west mark do you, is that why you liked us or what you know everyone is trying to really bring something fresh to the table and i think that was was that 17 or 16 yeah no, that was 2017 was the kanye show i believe 17 okay yeah. okay and you know uh you know, being on the field and being an adjudicator you want to make sure that you know Everything that's being presented, you want it to have at least uh, good merit. Mm -hmm. And what I really dug about what you guys did, what you brought to the table, was that it was it was a fresh show. It was intriguing. I love the way the juxtaposition of the two genres were, were working with each other. And the kids played well, and mm -hmm. they really played well on the move, and they were enjoying themselves. And in and, and, and the marching pageantry, we want to judge things that are being enjoyed from the performer's aspect. As, as well as, as being on the other side. So I remember, you know, seeing that show probably three or four times, maybe, yeah, at least four times that summer, mm -hmm. and, and really not seeing it as being, okay, they're, you know, they're, they're just trying to put hip-hop in the show and, yeah. and uh, make something out of it. It was actually really, really well thought out and, and constructed both visually and musically, so I dug it. That's very nice of you to say. Yeah, Matt Edwards did a really good job with the brass, you know, getting that. He really liked you as well because uh, you uh, you understood things. You gave good comments. So we really enjoyed seeing your name on the sheets. There were some we didn't enjoy. I won't mention anybody by names. <laughs> but they did ask me why I didn't play Gold Digger in retreat, uh, in critique, rather. I was like, that. you can't. What, why are you asking me why we didn't play Gold Digger? Just judge. Anyway, that's not the point. So that's not. I'm sorry about that. So Maybe that's the only one that they knew. Yeah, I think so. I think probably because they sung it on Glee. Probably not, he probably didn't even know Kanye sang it. He's like, oh, they sang it on Glee. So, you know, whatever. But, uh, hey, um, now you mentioned where you grew up. Where was the city, again, the name that you grew up in, Georgia? A little small town in southwest Virginia called Big Stone Gap. Oh, in Virginia? Uh, we we had me. a claim. Yeah. Claim to fame was Elizabeth Taylor when she was married to John Warner, the uh -huh. governor of Virginia. Oh. They came through on a, on a uh, uh, campaign trail. And they stopped in little old Big Stone Gap, and she subsequently choked on a chicken bone and <laughs> almost died in Big oh Stone Gap. Oh, my gosh. The illustrious Elizabeth Taylor. Wow. Did they put a sign like, uh, at that restaurant? I happened to be fishing uh, the Bread and Chicken House. <laughs> <laughs> that was the name of the place. Wow. And, and so you were uh, fishing, you said? We were fishing. I think I was 13. It was either 76 or 75. 
then they came through and we were fishing the, ri- the the river went right back behind that place and we were just a little bit north of it uh-huh. and uh we had we had no clue what was going on and then later on we we heard that she was in town and ended up at lonesome pine hospital with a chicken bone in the throat wow that's that i don't think that's in her wikipedia page uh or maybe it is i don't know i i don't really know uh elizabeth taylor's bio but that's that's interesting that's that's so virginia to georgia we'll get to how you got there um but um mark do you listen to podcasts and if so have you listened to this podcast before I actually have listened to a few. I've listened to, I think it's Alex. Alex Blue the uh, Fifth, did one. yes. That's Blue, and uh, I listened to a little bit of Tony's. Oh, Tony. Uh, so of those two, which one is your favorite? I, I don't know if I could actually say that. Uh, you, you can, you can they, say they it. Both, okay. yeah. No, they were both intriguing. They both had, had great substance. I like both personalities. Alex is a little bit more on the quiet side. Yeah. And you get you get some verve from Tony, which uh-huh. is really neat. Yeah, they were fun. They were fun. Um, so I guess you can't tell me who your least favorite is, so that's okay. We'll say they're both <laughs> your least favorite, because uh, now this is your favorite episode, your episode. Of course. That you're on. Uh, so according to your biography, I hope it's not outdated because so many people's biographies aren't updated. Uh, you graduated from East Tennessee State University, um, but you mentioned to me earlier that your script to becoming a band director is is a bit different than most um can can, can yeah. you you know what well, we're going to talk about your drum corps marching and we're going to talk about teaching but i'm curious about this story of yours that led you from college or i guess from from teaching or whatever like let, let's talk about the mark hoskins story here we go well it, you know you know i grew up in, in a little small town and uh we all did everything we played football we ran track we played baseball we played basketball we went fishing. Some of my friends went hunting. I never went hunting. Never uh-huh. shot a gun. Oh. Uh, we did all of those things. And, you know, of course, the, the, we had a really good marching band in our town. Uh, I think we only had around 425 kids in our high school. Oh. And we marched about 125 in the band. Oh, wow. Right on. So, uh, and uh, when I started out, my first year of marching band was actually in my seventh grade year. Wow. We didn't have a. We had an elementary school and a high school, and the high school was eight through twelve. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, the band director that started me, Dave Tipton, who passed away uh, years back, great guy. Uh, Dave Tipton always chose a few of his seventh graders to march in the high school band, mm-hmm. and luckily he he tapped me on the shoulder one day, said, "Mark, I want you to, yeah, you know, want you to try to march in the high school band. So we're going to work out transportation for you guys to get from the elementary school to the high school." So uh, I remember that first band camp in 1970, I think it was 1975. Oh, wow. Uh, going up and, and, and playing in the trumpet section in between two vets. <laughs> I'm trying to remember both names. I do remember one, Mike Rogers. We called him Peanut. Great <laughs> trumpet player. Peanut, Peanut Rogers. And he had an afro, a white guy. Very slim. <laughs> and played on a binge trumpet. And yeah. I watched this guy, and I'm like, I want to do that. So I ended up having my mom purchase me a Ben's trumpet in 78. I still have that trumpet today. Uh, matter of fact, looked at it today in the office. Awesome. Uh, went through that, you know, ended up marching. Uh, got to perform at Disney World in 1976 and just, just loved it all the way through high school. Um, and... Once I got through high school, I ended up going to school at East Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a late entry. I wanted to go to University of Kentucky, of all places. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not a big, I'm not a UK fan, but people in Southwest Virginia either go 
with Tennessee, UT, I'm not a UT fan. UK, I'm not a UK fan. Uh-huh. I'm actually a UNC fan. Oh, okay. But yeah. um, it didn't work out for UK, and I had to get into a school. Uh, and East Tennessee State was over the border, and I went over and rushed an audition and had the worst college band audition known to man. <laughs> just wasn't prepared. And, uh-huh. Uh, just just stunk up the joint. But I went in there, and I played third trumpet. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, ended up going into uh, the School of Music. I didn't know what I wanted to major in. I didn't. I had no clue. Uh, and uh, that's okay. I can play a trumpet, so I'll be. I'll I'll go into the School of Music. So here we go. Um, I started uh, as a measly third trumpet player <laughs> in the college marching band, and had all these really cool people around me, and. Uh, had just so happened that the night before we started band camp in college, I had just seen on television, on PBS, uh, the Saturday night performance mm-hmm. of the 1980 uh, DCI championships and was just floored by it. Now, I'll, I'll talk about how I got into drum corps, but I was floored by it. And I was like, I need to do this. This is something I really want to do. Sure, yeah. So that right there started me to figuring out who I wanted to be as a musician. Uh, I did not like playing third trumpet. And (laughs) I subsequently started breaking into the music hall uh, after hours to go upstairs and practice. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going into the, uh, for about a four or five month period, um, going in after hours and practicing, you know, the the, uh, applied stuff that... My trumpet instructor, Horace Little, mm-hmm. great man who's passed away as well, um, you know, he said, if you're going to get better, if you want to do these things, you've got to, you, you've got to practice. So I would put about an hour and a half to two hours of trumpet playing uh, on the horn up through the middle of my freshman year. Well, at the end of the freshman year, I went from playing out of 45 trumpets I was like maybe 42nd. <laughs> uh-huh. I went from 42nd to the third chair player in the ETHU Ooh, uh, band program. And all of that came from just hard work and busting butt. Mm-hmm. But in the process of that, I ended up making the decision to audition for Spirit mm-hmm. in October of 1980. Oh, okay. Uh, and a really dear friend of mine, Roberta Naff, who was a color guard member in the 1980 Spirit of Atlanta, uh, you know, she knew I was excited about it, and she just kept, kept, you know, con- encouraging me and telling me I could really do it. And I had a bunch of people, bunch of friends, bunch of peers, who uh, pretty much thought that I was like just messing around. I wasn't going to do this. Yeah. So myself and about five other guys from East Tennessee State drove down in a caravan to Atlanta, Georgia, uh, actually Austell, Georgia. Here's the ironic thing of this: I auditioned. I became the band director at South Cobb High School okay. in 1998. Mm-hmm. I auditioned for Spirit in the same room that was my <laughs> band office for four years. Wow. So that, 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 that history, that yeah. little tie-in is really, really neat. But I went down and, you know, 80 was a hellacious year for Spirit. Yeah. Both in terms of competitiveness and also uh, what it went through traumatically with the death of Jim Ott. Right, yeah. Um and I have a little story about Jim Ott I can say, a little, you know, tell you in a little bit. Sure. But I uh, went in and I had my audition ready to go. It was uh, Fantasy Brilliant uh, in the Arbins book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
and I decided that was going to be the that was going to be the piece that was you know, that would best showed my trumpet prowess. Mm-hmm. So I remember going, getting that ready, getting that ready, and I remember my trumpet instructor in college. Trumpet instructor in college was like, "Why are you playing this piece better than the stuff that I have given you to work on for class?" <laughs> and he realized that I had a goal, and I told him, "I said I really need to do this." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he he worked with me some more, and, and we we got it ready to go. And I remember going into the uh, to the audition room, and Jim Clark who was an inaugural member of the Spirit of Atlanta and was a soprano player, was my uh, judge. And I went in and I wasn't nervous because, and it's something I tell my kids, you're nervous when you're not prepared. Right. You're anxious when you want to get it done. Yeah. So I knew I knew I was going to knock this out. So we went in, started playing, and lo and behold, about a third of, way, a third of the way through the audition piece, he stopped me. And I'm like, Oh, come on, man. I, I'm getting to the good part. Yeah. And he stopped me. And he asked me to play uh, my concert B-flat scale two octaves. So I played that. See, I want you to play your chromatic scale and go as high as you can. I went up to, at this point, my chops were going. I was never really a range guy, but I knew I needed to get that range going. Right. So I went up to an F. Uh-huh. I surprised myself because it was effortless. They came back down. And, uh-huh. uh, we got through, and Jim looked at me, and he looked at my sheet. And he looked at me again, and I'm like, you know what? I'm, I didn't get in. I didn't uh-huh. get in. And he looked at me and said, you're 335 miles away. Can you make it to rehearsals? I said, I'll make it to every damn rehearsal you have. <laughs> I'll come by car. I'll come by bus. Yeah. And I did take Greyhound down to Atlanta a couple times. Wow. He says, okay, uh, we'll see you soon. And that was like, I walked out of that. I think I floated out of that. <laughs> And I, you know, I went back through, and everybody was in the gyms. You know, I, I think the holding area was for the locker room. Mm. Went and got my case. I went out to, uh, to the gym and did my, I did my marching thing first. That's right, and that was that was fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember going to my case and sitting down, and my friends coming over and asking me how the audition went. And I, I was catatonic. I was sort of kind of uh, <laughs> uh, because I had prepared myself for this audition, yeah. and. It came to fruition. Now, I couldn't tell them that I made the core. Right. Uh, and I remember the Friday night, two weeks later, uh, when we got our acceptance letters. Mm-hmm. And four of us made the core. Oh. And we all, a bunch of our friends, they, we all went out. It was just a crazy, crazy night. And it was, you know, we were elated. It was awesome. Yeah. And then Monday, each, each one of us who actually made the core, we ended up getting rejection letters. What? <laughs> Yes, somehow they got it crossed up. So we got, we got our, our uh, we had our contracts to get in, and then we all got letters that said, unfortunately, we didn't make the core. So immediately, I'm at the music hall and I'm making a phone call to, to the bingo hall. Yeah, and they said, oh yeah, we made a mistake. The secretary sent out some, some, uh, some false letters, and don't worry about it. You're in. So I actually have at home in Big <laughs> Virginia. I have my acceptance letter. And in another, in, right beside it, in another frame, I have my my uh, dear John letter. So your dear John, <laughs> I call it the dear John letter. That's that's wow. So, that's a that's a great story. That's how that happened. So I didn't that, I didn't get into I didn't get into my script. So I didn't follow <laughs> the same script as some of my my peers. Right. Yeah. Um, I had a little bit too much fun in college, <laughs> and I ended up basically. 
taking forever to get out. Sure. Now, in the middle of all that, you know, I, I ended up teaching, you know, learning how to teach, mm-hmm. learning how to teach uh, uh, band camps and things of that nature. I left tour with Spirit of Atlanta in the middle of the year. Uh, that divorce is just, you know, that's I call it a divorce. Uh, I didn't leave. I didn't leave very happily when I left in the middle of tour in '86. Gotcha. All right. And um, I came home, and a friend of mine said a band. One of my, he actually marched with us in '83, '82, and '83. His name is Mike McConnell. Very, very good friend of mine mm-hmm. that lives in Kingsport, Tennessee. Okay. And Mike McConnell um, called me and said, "Hey, there's a friend of mine that I'm doing some low brass work with, and he would love to have you come." Uh, work with the band and Martin Dickey is that band director who is now at Nation Ford or maybe even a new school in South Carolina uh, was at Fort Mill for a while and then went to Nation Ford right. and then it just opened up a new school and I owe everything in terms of getting my foot in the door of teaching to Martin Dickey uh, he allowed me to come in and work with the, his kids at David Crockett High School <laughs> Davy Crockett High School in Jonesboro, Tennessee uh-huh. and uh they had no one darker than me there. I was the, when I came to David Crockett High School, I was the dark guy. Uh-huh. So, um, but these kids respected me and they listened to everything I had and had to tell them. And uh, in 1990, this band program ended up uh, being the Class A champion at the BOA Regional that was held in Johnson City. We missed finals by like four tenths of a point. Uh. There were only 66 members in the band. Wow. But these kids played the 1984 and 85 Blue Devil shows. <laughs> and Martin wanted them, to, it was all about drum corps. So yeah. these, these kids played La Fiesta, they played uh, Pegasus, <laughs> uh, Everybody Loves the Blues, uh-huh. and Gingy. And I taught it the way I heard it because I marched right. during those years. Yeah, yeah. So these kids ate it up. And. Uh, uh, matter of fact, one of the really strong trumpet players from that band just friended me on Facebook the other day. It was really neat to to, to make that connection. But I ended up uh, sort of sticking around, if you know what I mean, college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had an academic scholarship. I didn't have a music scholarship. I had oh, an okay. academic scholarship. So I used up those years of that academic scholarship after my 85 year. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, Mom said, well, if you're going to go to school, you're going to go to school on your own merit. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay for this. So I didn't have a great job, and I knew that I could teach. And after Martin Dickey let me do that stuff there, uh, a couple of years later, I ended up making a great connection, a reconnection with Bob Buckner. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great Bob Buckner out of Waynesville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he gave me the opportunity to teach, or actually not teach, but to work with him through his music enterprise. It was called United Music Enterprises, if I'm not mistaken, UME, mm-hmm. a blue shirt with a, that emblem on it. And he sent people out to do uh-huh. band camps. Yeah. He would do three-day band camps. Well, this was 88, so I, this is now, I'm into this, this longevity of trying to get out of school. Yeah. So what I would do, I would write drills or work with Bob, uh, and make money, and then in the spring, I would go to school. So it would be a, a semester ah, off, a semester on. Yeah. Semester off, a semester on. Uh, so I had to pay for my apartment in Johnson City and pay for school while, you know, on my own. Yeah. So I basically started a consulting business after 1988. I, I was with Bob for a couple of years, 
and then I, I I figured out that hey I can actually do this this band thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I put my arranging skills together, which were a little. Uh, this is say I didn't learn from the book. <laughs> uh, I, I, I took the arranging courses that we had in college and and listened to some really good friends and read some some really strong books that helped out on the arranging side mm-hmm. and also used my ear to copy a lot of Jim Prime stuff. Of course, yeah. Um, and convert it to marching band. So I ended up being able to write drill under the the, the, the guidance of Bob mm-hmm. and, and started using my ear. And so I was arranging and writing. Mm-hmm. I was writing drill and arranging music. So I ended up having my own consulting business. So and it became very lucrative. Mm-hmm. So I had bands all over the country. Uh, I owe a lot of my longevity of college to some really great band directors who really <laughs> wanted me to come work with their program. Yeah. My brother, I call him my brother, Don Jaramillo from Edo uh-huh. High School. Yes. And and Rancho Cucamon. Uh-huh. Uh I would have never met Don Jaramillo without uh, the love and support of Bob Buckner. Uh, Bob allowed me to go. He paid for my tuition to go to the summer workshop when it was still held at Whitewater University. Oh, okay. Uh, University of Whitewater in Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And so I remember this was the year 1988, and I met, I met Don Jaramillo. I met Eric Hefner, who is over the Arizona, um, the head of the Arizona marching thing out there. I met um, Denny Haig who is now passed, he was from South Dakota, but a great guy. And I also met for the very first time, Alfred Watkins. Mm, mm-hmm. We were all sitting at the same table uh, during the, the beer and broad, as they called it, the get together that <laughs> yeah. night. And here I am sitting with these guys and I'm in awe of them all. And I'm there on a uh, student package where they have the director's package and the student package, but I'm I'm rubbing elbows with the Greg Bims of the world, and yeah. I'm rubbing elbows with L.J. Hancock, the great band director that was at Norwin High School in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and the the, the uh, just his name just left me, uh, Scott Coder, yeah, and all of these guys. I'm meeting all these guys, and um, and end up forging an incredible relationship with Don. Don mm-hmm. asked me to write his drill in 1990. Ah. Uh, and I was I was ghostwriting that show. I was numbering drill for uh, for Bob Buckner, mm-hmm. but I was also ghostwriting when I should have been sleeping. <laughs> I was actually writing the Etiwanda drill. While I was also working for Bob, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I remember sending that out there. It was the first drill I'd ever really put on the field, and Don was like, "You know what? This is cool, man. This is cool." And and then the next thing I know, in 1992, I'm going out to work with the with the Etiwanda Band Program, the year that they uh, broke into BOA Grand Nationals mm-hmm. uh, with the Mass Show. Right. And I met my one of my dearest dearest friends, Paul Macaro, who marched Blue Devils out there. So my travels caused my longevity in school. So. You know, I, I, I would do this stuff in the, basically call it feast and famine. I was <laughs> feasting in the summer and, and the fall. Yeah. And then I would come home and struggle a little bit right. as I was trying to go to school and, and getting my education. And as I told you today, what ended up happening, I I really got tired of leaving band programs. Because uh-huh. I wouldn't go in for a week. I would go in for two weeks. 
yeah. or I had a program that I worked with in Wisconsin that I would work with for a month straight, mm-hmm. and we would win state championships. And then the day after the state championship, I would get on a plane and leave. And those relationships, those bonds that I made during that time, really caused me to to want to teach. Mm-hmm. So I had to really work at getting the 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 rest of my degree taken care of in order to do what I'm doing today. Um, I caught a lot of grief from a lot of people, you know, who thought I was wasting my time. And uh, I had a lot of peers who were getting out of they were getting out of school in four and five years and had a teaching gig. And then five years after that, they were selling insurance, yeah. selling cars. Uh, and I've been going at it since I've been teaching, as I told you earlier today, uh-huh. I've been teaching since 86. Now, legitimately, with a certificate, <laughs> I've been teaching 23 years, but the other 15 in front of that, man, yeah. has been, you know, you know, however many years I've been doing, working with bands around the country, and I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, and it's, it's given me the opportunity to, heck, it's given me the opportunity to stand on that field last uh, August on that Thursday morning through the evening and judge the very best marching ensembles in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm still living off of that residual effect today. Mm-hmm. Wow, kind of a kind of a crazy story. That's a that's a yes. Thank you. Thank you. You basically just answered all my questions. I don't need to ask you any more questions about about <laughs> your. That's fine. This this is the best episode ever. Nobody's listening to me talk. Um, now on, uh, I'm going to do some some uh, questions now that I think you'll like this question, Mark. Um, I'm going to wait till you take a drink so you don't spit it out. You are one of the few guests on this podcast, though there have been more as of late, unfortunately, to actually like the Dallas Cowboys. So I have a few questions <laughs> I'd like to ask. Number oh, one, the grief. Why do you like the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> it's really, it's a really simple, simple thing. 1970. Uh huh. We only had one television in our house. Okay. And it was in the living room. And back in 1970, you had three channels. You had ABC, CBS, and NBC. Mm-hmm. And CBS and NBC were the two, two channels that showed NFL football. Right. And I remember the day we had gotten home from church. I don't know what it was. I, we had gotten home from church. And they came in from church. And, of course, we wanted to get away from church. We, we were like, we need to go home. <laughs> yeah. And we got home and cut the television on. And it was the Dallas Cowboys versus the Washington Redskins. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And for me, when I saw the star, right. I saw that star. And that star was like, man, that's kind of neat. And the colors were great. Yeah. I'm going to be a Dallas Cowboy fan. And that's how it was. That's how I got started. It uh, was about yeah. the look. Oh, I see. Okay, and you and you've been tried and true since since nineteen seventy. Since nineteen seventy, yes. Wow, that's a so you you've seen the Cowboys actually be good before. I've yes, I've <laughs> seen the Cowboys, and actually, in nineteen seventy was the year that they were still said they they can't win the big game. Right. Uh, if you remember, nineteen seventy was the year that they played the Baltimore Colts in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and the and lost. Right. Well, it ended up being the seventy one Super Bowl, and they. They call it the the bungled Super Bowl because I think there were eight fumbles in that game. Oh, that's like that. that's great. That's great. I think it was six fumbles and, and an interception. And they were all by the Cowboys. Uh, and I'm we sure, lost. Right? <laughs> yes. So um, I saw that, and then I, I experienced the very first Super Bowl win over the Miami Dolphins. Right. Yes. And and then we lingered. You know, seventy seven was our last one with Roger Staubach, mm-hmm. and then we saw the uh, the drought with Danny White. Danny White, yes, that's right. The I, I 
I broke my my high school class ring uh, the day of the catch with Dwight Clark. Oh my God! Yes. I threw my I just I threw my my ring and shattered it. Wow. Um, yeah. That's and then hardcore. really we struggled. We really struggled after that. Yeah, for for a little bit. All of it. All of the rest of the '80s was just like, you know, mm-hmm. just someone just drowned me or something. It was crazy. Right. Right. But then uh, you were on top of the world so, in the early '90s. Yes, when the triplets were uh-huh. triplets were drafted, and that that monstrosity of a football team was made, you know, you know, you know that we should have actually won probably four out of five Super Bowls, right? right. Maybe even six out of seven. They were really good. <laughs> uh, so I have a, a love love relationship with the Cowboys, I and I, I'm a very loyal person. <laughs> even though I can't stand Jerry Jones, I can't stand him. I love my Cowboys, so, uh-huh. you, you, you know. And this year, we look like we might actually be something, uh-huh, and uh-huh. who knows how it's going to be. I, I was going to ask you how you felt about <clears throat> Dem Boys' chances this year, uh, if there is in fact a football season. I, I like our chances a lot. Mm-hmm. We we have a coach that has a proven record. Correct. Uh, Against your he's Cowboys, not clap a lot. <laughs> of, of course. I think the of clap. Course. He's not gonna like Jason Garrett just clapping along. Yes, yeah, the clapper. Uh huh. So, I, I feel good about that. I feel good about the 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 pieces that have been moved, and where they've moved them, and how it works. Mm-hmm. Of course, we lost McCoy the other day. That that's yep. a big blow. Yep. But we have uh, we seem to have an uh, a good stock on the on the defensive line. So we'll see how that works out. You know. With the COVID situation, we'll see how how what happens. Uh, if if anything keeps us from playing in the Super Bowl this year, it may be this disease. Hell, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe God doesn't want the Cowboys to be good this year, so yeah, it doesn't yeah, that's 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 just so bad. <laughs> so bad. Um, now we talked earlier, and you said you have been working out and losing weight, but I'm going to talk about food because this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast, where I ask people about food, and you've been all over the place, and you're in the South. So I'm sure your answers are going to be amazing. Um, I would like to know about, first of all, your favorite taco, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and where you get it from. My favorite taco. I just now ate three carne asada tacos Ooh. this evening. Oh, my God. Did you make them? No. Uh, we, we, we have a uh, two places that we have, we, we have not eaten out since March 13th. Yeah. Um, so we do takeout from a local restaurant called mm-hmm. Los Bravos. Okay. Which is, and they're amazing. And actually one of the kids, uh, one of the uh, relatives of, of the owners, they, they were in my band program years ago. Okay. So uh, we've been going there ever since we uh, were married, and it's been really good, really good. So uh, it was, it's kind of ironic you say that, because those tacos went down really, really Nice. I'm glad. I'm glad. But now I'm going to have to have some later on. Um, do you have a favorite burger place? My favorite burger place. Oh, I'll, I'll be very controversial here. I've seen these oh, uh, the the contests with Whopper Burger and Five Guys. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. There's nothing better than the double double. The double. And where's the double double from? Double double. In and out. Oh God! Come on. In and out, man. Uh, I thought you were going to say cookout. I thought that was like a big deal down south. Yeah, you know, our kids go to cookout. I did it once. I was like, you know what? Never again. Okay. All right. Well, this podcast is over. Um, all right. <laughs> now, so so Tennessee, Virginia, Georgia, um, what or where do you get your favorite barbecue from? 
my favorite barbecue. Um, a couple places. Uh, actually, I, I did barbecue yesterday at a place I had not eaten, hadn't eaten at in a couple of months. Uh, my wife doesn't dig it, but I do. It's Williamson's Brothers here in Marietta, Georgia. Oh, all right. All right. That's good to know. They established uh, a great barbecue rib sandwich. Ooh. I, li- I like the way I like the way that sounds. Three big ribs on a oh. on a toasted. Yes. Oh man, I'm getting, I'm getting I should have I should have had dinner before this. I mean, I did, but it makes me want to have more. Um, with, as with my steak fries as big as your oh, fingers. Man, I, I've have already had too many carbs <laughs> for today. Uh, we'll, we'll have to, I might have to save some Uh-oh. carbs. Um, my friends make fun of me because I, whenever I ask this question of a person of color, I always go. I ask this question of everybody. You know, um, do you have a favorite fried chicken place, Mark? I do, and, and and it actually got usurped two years ago. Uh-oh. Uh oh. I I can beat down some some yardbird. I'm sorry. Some I, yardbird. I, 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 I let, let me stop you there because when I grew up, my uncles would call it yard buzzard, and it's so rare that I find somebody that understands that reference. And I it's I mean I'm Mexican, yes. so it's clearly not like I grew up with like a black family or something. But I love it when I hear someone say someone that. So thank you for saying yardbird. But anyway, continue with that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so KFC was the where it was where it was. You know, I, everybody knew where KFC was. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I've heard of of uh, Gladys's chicken and waffles in downtown Atlanta and all that. I've never been, but I've heard it's really good. Mm-hmm. But for me, I like a little spice in my chicken. And once I got a chance to uh, beat down some Popeyes, <laughs> it was all over. I, I rarely, if ever, go to KFC anymore. Mm-hmm. I do love Popeye spicy chicken. That's good. That's some good stuff. Yeah, and and that sandwich is the bomb. Oh, oh, all right, all right. I'm glad you. I'm glad you said that. I highly endorse the sandwich. Okay, this, that's important to know. Um, do you have a favorite pizza place? You like pizza? I do, and I try. I usually eat it once a week. Oh. Um, locally, locally, we have quite a few places that are really nice. Uh, there's a place that we get from school called JJ's, which actually used to be called Saparino's. Okay. And the reason I know about that place is the, the, the owner, former owner's son, was in the band program. Ah. And played a mean bass, uh, a bass clarinet for a while. Okay. Uh, but we would go there, and Chris Romanowski would go there with me, and we, <laughs> we loved the place. Gotcha. All right, all right. This is an adult yeah. podcast. So, okay. yeah. I, 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 Continue. Sorry. My no, bad. that's my bad. Go ahead. No, continue about your, your pizza uh, place with Romo. Jay, <laughs> well, of course, Romo would have to have pineapple on his, on his pizza. <laughs> I, I, I didn't do that. I, I sampled it, and it's okay, but it's not my bag. Um, but, uh, yeah, we would tear down some, some Saperino, uh, uh, Saperinos, and now it's called JJ's, and uh, it's the same quality. It's mm-hmm. great pizza. It's awesome. That's great to hear. I'm, 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 I'm really hungry now. Thank you for this. Um, this is an adult podcast, so do you have a favorite spirit, Mark, if you do, in fact, partake? I have, I have acquired the expensive <laughs> appetite for a nice single malt scotch. Oh, okay. And All if right. you notice my page, every now and then you'll get a, a nice little screenshot yes. of a celebratory scotch. Ah, do you have a favorite uh, brand? It's close, and it's. Uh, I, I, I'm very much particular to Glenlivet and mm-hmm. McAllen. Mm, yeah. um, uh, the McAllen 18, uh, you could pour over pancakes. It's that good. 
<laughs> I'll take your word for that one. Um, yes. Now, from the South, how do you take your uh, iced tea, Mark? Well, up until about June 30th, <laughs> it was sweet as you can get it. Uh-huh. And then I started, actually, I take that back. I, I started doing half and half uh-huh. uh, a couple of years ago. I stopped drinking soda June 1st of 2015. Word, yeah. Uh, and I haven't had a soda since then. Wow. And then I actually stopped. I stopped with the full sweet teas and went straight to half and half. Mm-hmm. And on on July 14th this year, I stopped. I stopped sugar wow. altogether. So now I'm drinking. I'm drinking coffee with Splenda or mm. some kind of, of sweetener. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to drop the sugar. You know, I, I told you I've dropped like 10 pounds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just the sugar loss and and exercise. Has really helped out. Do I miss? Do I miss that? I do. I, I I miss the occasional sweet tea. Right, right. And and so you take your coffee black with a stevia. Is that how it goes? Pretty much. All right, <laughs> that's fine. I take mine black with sugar too. So I, that's the way. That's the way I like it. Now you are the director of bands at Wheeler High School in Cobb County in Marietta, Georgia. So um, first right. first question, Mark, who writes your band music for the fall? The illustrious Doug Thrower. Oh, God. So, I mean, the second <laughs> second question was going to go, why isn't it me? But I know the answer to that, basically, why. So, okay. A third yeah, question. Doug, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Let's talk okay. about Doug. Go ahead. No, Doug is a great friend of mine, and we've been working together. This will be year 14. Wow, well, that's a lot. Yeah, this will be year 14. He started writing for us in 2005. Oh, wow. Yes. This is year 15. That's right. Wow. That was, uh, that was yeah. before I started writing for Cobb County bands, but, you know, that's fine. Whatever. You don't need to talk about that. <laughs> um, so how many directors? I'm always curious, you know, because down here in Texas, I think we have 45 band directors per band program. But um, how many directors do you have at your disposal over at Wheeler High School? We have two, myself and my assistant, Anthony Higdon. And he is he was there one year before I got there in 2003. So this is year 18 for me and year 19 for him. And then do you also have... A bit of a band marriage. <laughs> he's, your, he's your work husband. Um, yeah. And then do you have like your percussion tech slash color guard person, et cetera, all that stuff? Well, yes, we do. Uh, we made a percussion change this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, of course, Chris Romanowski was with me back in 2005 through... Well, he did like three or four years before he moved on to Greener Pastures. Uh, but we have a percussion on, uh, director, we have a color guard instructor, uh, and we have coaches oh, as well yeah. that come in to do things. Right, right. You know, that Texas model is really good. <laughs> uh, it, it did all right. It does all right for a little bit, I guess. Um, how many concert yeah. bands do you have over at Wheeler? We, this year, we're actually, we're supposed to grow to four. We still have four bands now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but due to the, the virus that came through and, you know, the, the lack of contact with our kids for five months, yeah. uh, we were supposed to have grown to about 280 this year in mm-hmm. total program. Um, uh, but we're, we're, we're right at 200 right now. We lost quite a few kids yeah. because of the inactivity uh, over the break. And we're happy with the kids that we have and that, we, you know, we're lamenting the fact that we didn't get a chance to make that massive growth. Yeah. Our feeder, our middle school feeder is incredible. 
His name is Greg Denson and has done an incredible job at East Cobb Middle School. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was pushing out. Uh, he started 225 and 235 kids uh, in uh, consecutive years. Uh-huh. And his eighth grade band last year was magnificent. Uh, so they were sending us 135 kids. And we ended up really getting about 85. We lost a bunch of his kids yeah. and some kids that were coming in from other areas. So uh, bittersweet, but yeah. we're, we're, we're going to bake it. Gonna- yeah. So uh, the last time, I guess, it, I don't know if you would have had quote unquote contest this spring. I don't know when school was shut down for you, but what type of literature were your bands playing for uh, concerts and contests and whatnot? Uh, it's, I was actually looking at a piece of music just the other day and, uh, Everything that we deal with going back, it's like all of a sudden we have a little bit of memory loss from what it was like when all of this hit. Yeah, uh, we were looking at the uh, Alleluia. Um, I can't I can't remember the the name of the uh, the composer of that. It's a vocal piece mm-hmm. with their top group. We were looking at that, and we were also looking at a Julie Giroux piece, mm-hmm. uh, One Life Beautiful. Yep. Yep. Um, and I, I can't remember what our opener was, our, our march. Um, <laughs> all of those thoughts go away. It's sort of kind of like they say, what, do you, what were you going to, mar- what were going to play last year? Yeah. Or what was your show for marching band? You can't think back and remember what it was. Right. Yeah. So I'll have to go back and think on that. But our, our ensembles play, our top ensemble plays grade six college literature. Uh-huh. You know, we do the posy. We do. Yeah. Uh, Esprit de corps, we do all that all that wonderful literature there. And our concert bands, our, our, our second band, our symphonic band is a grade four, grade five program. And our concert band, our concert bands have been incredible the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Our freshmen create our concert groups. So we've been playing grade three, grade four uh, material with them for festival. So um, we had some really good momentum going into that last week. We were one week away from going into LGPE last year when uh-huh. the, the shutdown happened. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and then my last question, why haven't you played any of my music with your concert bands, Mark? I will be looking into oh. that, my brother. Yeah, yeah. But you know, see, this, that's really what this podcast is about, is trying to, to put guilt, me on blast. Yeah, guilt people and play my music. So, Mark, I like to go through people's Facebook likes just to kind of see Uh-oh. the kind of things they like. Some are embarrassing, some are not. You know, some are like, oh, I did that when I was in college, and that was like 15 years ago. So um, I noticed a few things. You like Music in Motion, which is the new venture between the Andes, Mark Worth and Ebert. Um, composer Andrew Lawson. Um, composer Tyler Arcari, or Arcari, forgive me if I cannot pronounce that correctly. Um, boy, you have a lot of composers' pages you liked. I noticed one person was missing from your from your likes, Mark. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, yeah, I'll well, have to get on that. Yeah, that, it's fine. I don't have my own personal composer page, so so you're you're lucky on this one. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's a trick question. Um, but if I had one, you wouldn't have had it liked. I don't think so. Um, and and then, you, I, I promise you, I probably would have. I'm going to create one just so everyone can have to like it. I'm not even going to update it. That's just going to you know say thank you or something. There you know. go. And then you like the Director's Circle podcast, but yet you don't like Sketchbook Podcast, the very podcast you're appearing on right now. Well, I, I haven't had a chance to get over mm. and do that. You oh, know, when when you're man. going through Facebook, <laughs> when you go through Facebook, you you get all these invitations to do this and that, and you're like. Duh. Wait a minute, what is this? Right. So sometimes you get a little crossed up. 
Well, I don't. That's my excuse. Yeah, I get it. I don't. Uh, I don't beg for likes. I'm not one of those people <laughs> that like uses all my friends and sends out massive invites. I want people. I, I want legit likes. So, um, so thank you legit. for that. Yes, thank you. Um, now I don't. I, I I see you drinking. Looks like you're drinking some sort of uh, liquid water. Perhaps I'm. I'm assuming it is. It I, is water. Okay. Now, do you? <laughs> I don't know how many people get that <laughs> reference, by the way. Uh, I would like to know your thoughts on sparkling water, specifically Topo Chico, if you have, in fact, ever had it. I don't think I have had it. And, and I tried the sparkling water thing, and it just it's just it doesn't sit well with me. I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's too much effervescence or if it reminds me of carbonated water which reminds me of soda, which yeah. I just don't drink anymore. Sure. So I think that might be the reason. Okay, I got you. Do I you, got you. Do you endorse it? Uh, Topo Chico is the... Uh, I, I drink regular water, iced tea, and Topo Chico. That's all I drink. Uh, because, I, like you, I gave I it soda. Was... Okay, okay. Um, is it... Is it... Does it use sugar, or is it like a... No, it's sugar substitute. Um, so I, I, the reason, I mean, I've always liked it. I've liked lime better, but the carbonation kind of satisfies my, uh, you know, the getting rid of, of soda kind of thing. It has uh, 15 milligrams of sodium, uh, no protein, no carbs, no fat, no calories. Um, so it's pretty, I, I don't want to say it's healthy cause that's clearly not what it is, but it's not bad for you. I'm sure it's bad for your teeth. Is it refreshing? Oh, it is the most refreshing. And I replace all my, uh, all the drinks that ask for club soda. I just use Topo Chico, um, when I mix okay. it together. So, yeah, but I, I like it. Like I, we, we, I buy four cases at a time whenever I go to the groceries. So, uh, my wife drinks it and my friends have drink. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a pusher. But uh, let's let's just say that a lot of people like Topo Chico because I introduced them to it. So, so here we go. I think you can get it now in Atlanta. Yeah, I actually saw it in the grocery store today after we got off the phone. When I went into the grocery store, I actually yeah. saw it as I went down that snack aisle. No, oh. so I might have to give it a yeah. I might have to give it a whirl. Coca Cola bottom, so you're supporting your home your home brew from from Hotland. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you said you keep it real. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get real now, Mark. Um, you've taught. The Spirit of Atlanta and the Magic of Orlando German Bugle Course, but now you are a DCI judge. Um, so what I want to do is I want to talk about what it was like for you going up performing in a drum corps from the south um, and then teaching two southern drum corps, I guess we'll call Florida Southern, right? And then now judging. So, so let me ask you this question. When you marched and when you taught, uh, do you remember if there were a lot of other performers and instructors that quote unquote looked like you or like the way I asked Alex Blue the Fifth or Tony Lyman? Do you remember, was it difficult to be black in DCI as a member, as a teacher, as a designer? Uh, we're not, we'll get to judging, but you know, what do you, what do you remember about those years? It's, it's, it's funny you ask that as a performer and particularly in my four years that I marched, I was very much aware of people who looked like me, mm-hmm. uh, but I was also very much aware that I knew that I was different in that core, particularly in spirit. I always wondered why we had we didn't have as many people of color in a city where yeah. African Americans are, are very prolific. Yeah, and there were very very good musicians in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know much about the surrounding areas of Atlanta, but I also knew. But I did know that the band programs in the Atlanta area were strong. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it it didn't concern me, but it did lay in the back of my mind 
that I why why aren't I seeing other people like me? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't say it it, it it sort of kind of made me unsure or upset. Mm-hmm. I went along with it. Yeah, uh, and, that, and this conversation actually leads to another conversation that we we might get into a little later. Oh, uh, I, I went through '83 was a year that sort of turned everything around for me. You know, I went from being a, a not a bit player, but I, you know, I played mellophone, and in '83 I was given a solo, and and we are mm-hmm. the reason. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a show at, at a, in South Carolina actually, and I noticed a lot of kids who were who looked like me mm-hmm. that were in the stands, and we actually won that show. It might have been Columbia, I'm not really sure, mm-hmm. but we did the encore, and then after that show, these kids came bum rushed me. Out of the stands uh, after the after the uh, the uh, what we call it encore, mm-hmm. and and I sat there and talked to him for a bit, and this happened to me about five or six times yeah. in eighty four and in eighty three and eighty four, but they were very much enthralled that someone that looked like them mm-hmm. was doing what I was doing, so it made me more I, I became more conscious of who I was in the activity, mm-hmm. you know, and I also remember. Seeing uh, performers, I remember my good friend Larry Robinson, who I, I wish I could could get in contact with him. He marched Bayonne in the Bridgman, mm-hmm. and Larry was a baritone player in the Bridgman in '81, and I remember seeing him in '82, and then I didn't see him anymore. Mm. Uh, uh, and you would be very much aware of the chords who didn't have that many people who looked like me. Right. So we sort of found each other. You know, the, the guys that marched at SEV, we found each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the guys in Suncoast, we found each other. Uh, there was a couple of guys that marched in. Now, these guys, these chords weren't even top 12. I had a bunch of friends that marched Florida Wave. You know, huh. Huh. guys that we just sort of gravitated to each other and yeah. we hung out. And then 83 and 84, there were a couple of people in cadets. We became very, very close at that time. And we we would get together after shows and talk and hang and all of that. But um, I didn't really become very conscious about my blackness in drum corps until I actually started teaching mm-hmm. or, or my, my position of color. Uh, 85 uh, for spirit was very, very, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, uh, it was telling. Hmm. I I was made to be aware of who I was a lot, and some of that happened with the people that I taught with, hmm. and some of it was uh, made me aware of, of. I was made aware of it by word, places that we went. Right. You know. Yeah. If I, with the staff, you know, you go into a truck stop to get something to eat, and then you would get the the look. Yeah. Or you would see somebody look at it. It was always the look or the murmur or something like that. Yeah. So I became more conscious of it after I marched, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, Alex in... So, oh, sorry. You know, And Alex in one of his episodes talked, no, go ahead. talked about critique, that he would go in, and he t- he. I think he talked about this a few weeks ago on Facebook, and somebody was trying to tell him that their interpretation of jazz wasn't correct and you know that maybe maybe you should go study jazz or something unaware that alex has a jazz performance degree from the university of north texas or so you know and it's it's just, he he said that you know it was very telling to use your words you know just especially when you go in and critique you know it it did feel very uh i i don't i don't i don't remember the word so i don't want to put put any words in his mouth but it, it definitely was an experience going to critique and and he still felt that feels that way 
going in critique because you know this leads me to this next question or next point and this i i say this for comedic effect but you know during finals week a few weeks ago you know a lot of photos everyone's putting up their finals week photos and a lot of judges put up like their collage photo of everyone who judged it yeah i'm guilty of that yeah Yeah. and it's fine but what my joke was that it looked like uh the gop interns photos because it was nothing but white people and then you right and 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 so I like I don't I don't know this because I don't know every judge and I don't see every judge. Are you one of or the only uh, black indigenous person of color judge uh, in DCI right now? No, uh, and there are four of us: okay. uh, Michael Davis out of St. Louis, okay, uh, myself, um, Michael Thompson out of New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and Ira Jenkins, who is uh, oh, here Ira's Indiana, judging Indiana, now, Indiana, huh? Well. Okay, yeah, oh. Ira. And so are circuit. All, all those four? Are they music judges, or or what? What are their their captions? Well, Michael's in percussion, mm-hmm. and Michael's done a couple of open championships, and I think he did semifinals one year for for Worlds. Okay. Uh, Ira is color guard as well as Michael Thompson. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so so you are the only brass judge of color and yeah. michael's well and then you got al Lowe. yeah al yeah Lowe. is he still judging i thought he yeah but, well yeah. He, he will be you know he just went through some through some heart stuff this year right yeah al's there and so is ronnie rios ronnie that's right good, that's right good brother ronnie rios yes yes and uh and one more hugh Wynn, color huh. guard judge out of new york okay okay uh, now, so, uh, Ro- I mean, Ronnie and Albert have judged finals before, right? Uh, finals week championships. I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think for I sure think so. that. Um, so, so you know, going back to sort of Alex's thing, you know, you go into the critique room, and if you're not there, you know, and Albert's not there, and Ronnie's not there, you know, it, it's you're you're isolated. Like Alex is the lone. He's like he says, you realize real quickly how many people look like you in a room. And so I'm, I'm curious, as, as you've gone through everything as a member, as a teacher, as a judge, as a designer, um, why do you think the percentage of, uh, of black indigenous people of color in judge, the judging community, and this isn't just DCI, we can expand this to WGI and BOA, though the numbers do increase a little bit when we go into WGI, you know, do, do, you, do you have some thoughts on why it is that way? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I can only look at it in a way from my perspective. I didn't think I had the juice to judge, and I would tell people that. Um, my supervisor at the time, and, and a dear, dear friend of mine, Gary Markham, mm-hmm. kept prodding me to judge. Yeah. I remember my last year teaching in 05 at Magic when I was the brass captain here head there. Gary would come to me and goes, "Mark, you need to be you need to be on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you know what you want to say. You know how to teach." Uh, uh, people will respect what you have to say, sure, uh, and it will make you a better teacher as well. And, I, and and so finally, in 2013, I just bit the bullet. You know, I said, <laughs> "Okay, I'm going to do this." And I remember trialing and 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 sort of kind of like, you know, this I might be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of it has to deal with people just not willing not willing to take the step into the door to do it. Right. Uh, I've told quite a few. Uh, peers of mine who look like mine <laughs> that look like me that that you can do this yeah. you know what's up yeah you know, you know the activity so jump in while you can and i i was afraid to fail i was afraid to make some kind of odd take you know <laughs> right. what i'm saying that was yeah. my big thing uh which 
I go into every show now, like with trepidation. Did I say something stupid? <laughs> Am I making sense? You know, uh, did I make the right call? And yeah. uh, so, turning that around, I, I think for people of color or or, or people who have watched DCI and see what you've explained, what you've described, um, I think we need to be prodded. I think we need to be encouraged. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's just we need to take that step. Uh, there are quite a few fantastic educators that are in the activity. Mm -hmm. uh, Eric Prince could be a judge right now, I'm, I'm certain. Uh, Alex could be a judge right now, I'm certain. Now, I also understand the allure <laughs> and the desire to be on the teaching side. Yeah, It's, it's awesome. Uh, for me, I knew that I had to leave the teaching side because I was not, it's sort of kind of like you're trying to make a, a great meal. Mm -hmm. But you don't have the right ingredients. I always felt that way okay. as a as a as a instructor. So I feel now that I'm giving something back to the activity that I was able to do. You know, giving you know, being able to to deliver feedback and crit, uh, critique to uh, ensembles to make them better. But as an African American, um, you know, being in just being in critique or being in that picture that you talked about. Of those nine individuals up there in the in the in the booth, yeah, I I, I love being that person. Mm -hmm. I would love to see more like me, yeah, with me. Um, I think there's got to be some change on a lot of levels, mm -hmm. and and that will open the doors for people to be there. Right. Um, I I don't mind being that person that stepped out, and and in the I guess you could say in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. But I, I I wouldn't mind having some company, particularly on the music side. Yeah, there's some brilliant brilliant educators that could do the same things that I'm doing, and I, I'm very humbled to be there as well. Mm -hmm. So um, the stigma of being by yourself uh, is great. Last year, I remember going on the field in Atlanta, my first regional, mm -hmm. and having an emotional moment knowing that I was taking every African-American person who had ever marched drum corps or someone who desired to be, be in drum corps mm -hmm. or had done it before who was looking at me on that field in Atlanta. I, 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 had that on the, on, I had that in my head as I was judging those incredible corps. And then it, it hit me before the last four corps that night. And when it was done, I was, it was exhilarating. Mm -hmm. And then I remember having the emotional moment in the in the end zone at quarterfinals last year, when it was all over. I went in the end zone and bawled <laughs> because I had done that. It yeah. was like, holy crap! I just judged at quarterfinals of DCI championships. Yeah, and I, I thought of all the people that came before me doing that, and it was it was a huge like emotional burst for me mm -hmm. and Carl Nelson looked at me and said you're alright I said yeah man I'm cool <laughs> I just had to get that out you know Yeah. so I, I, I would hope that, that kids who have seen uh, the Eric Prince's that march and the the people like Ralph Hardiman who is uh, just an icon mm -hmm. in, the, in the activity mm -hmm. and the Jim Prime yeah. the, 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 the Jim Elvords and all those individuals that they know that they can do the same things. They mm -hmm. just got to step out of their comfort zone and, and go do it. Now, we've also got to be aided on the other side. Someone's got to reach a hand out yeah. and pull us through the door as we're reaching through, too. Correct. Correct. Yeah, because, you know, I, I've talked about this and I've counted. I think I messaged you a while back. I messaged Tony Lyman also the same thing because I was 
trying to figure out, you know, the the big name, quote unquote, the big titles like the coordinators, the arrangers, the drill writers. Um, I, I, you know, there are more persons of people of color that tend to do the color guard and percussion. I mean, you mentioned Ralph Hardiman, you know, um, and there are other other big names, young and young and old. You know, Derek Shannon still doing it over there on Blue Nights, yeah. and um, but you, you mentioned. Jim Prime, and it's like, okay, well, well, who else is there? And then you go like, well, Richard Salcedo, you know, he's uh, his, you know, Hispanic, um, Tony Hall doing drill, Jim Elford with Madison Scouts, you know, but it's still one of those I can count it on two hands kind of thing, um, and, and but you're right because when, when with Scouts this year, you know, there's a concentrated effort to sort of, like you said, reach out and go, how do we, how do we help the community out? But but not just yeah you know, like we have to help them and and if they're not good well we have to help them be good and and that's what we were doing with, the, good, with yeah. Madison University because you know when you when you assemble a staff for a drum corps right it, you know this it's 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 such a it's a business it's a lot of money and you want to get everything right and when you're trying to consider underrepresented people for high profile roles and you're like well who's writing drill that's out there that's of color or female or something like that and your your options are so limited. But you need to increase that pool, and I think that that goes with what you're saying about you know reaching out a hand. We need to we may need to make the pool bigger so that the opportunities are better there for uh, for anybody in drum corps, whether they're core directors. Because is it Seattle Cascades? I believe the core director is African American. Um, yes. Yes. Um, and so yeah, yeah. No, I I you know it's it's uh I, as I don't consider myself a person of color I know I think that we fit in the BIPOC definition I don't you know I, I don't know how latin people are I'm brown that's all I say um but no 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 I get you there and you know I, I you as a teacher uh meaning a public school teacher but you also live in the drum corps world I'm curious what your thoughts are on the idea that DCI is now a country club activity um do you do you feel that it's like that. And when I say country club, I mean, no matter who, what color you are, you got to have money to march a drum corps. got to have some cash. And man. if you look at you know, it's, the, the, the color of people, it's predominantly a white, a white activity, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I grapple with that. You know, this year I had a student from my own band who was African-American who was actually going to March Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was just so f- looking forward to getting out there. And, of course, it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, it's a when I marched, drum corps wasn't expensive. It wasn't expensive, and but for my family it was expensive. So I ended up having to get sponsors. Yeah. So yeah. I knew what I had to do to do what I wanted to do, but you know it's it has become very very uh, how do I say uh, isolated in terms of being able to access it mm-hmm. for some mm-hmm. as we've moved through the years. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have the people who look at it as thinking that it's untouchable. There's no way I can do it. Yeah. And then they say, well, I mean, it's untouchable because there's no way that I can actually even remotely have a chance to do it in, in terms of, of affording it. Right. And yeah. I think that's a shame because we're, we're missing out on some kids who could absolutely be stellar mm-hmm. performers. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's because they just they can't get a foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's one of the great things about what Eric Prince is doing. Uh, uh, you know, we've got this advocacy group that is talking about uh, basically supporting uh, the, the on the African American side and on the person to, person of color as well as the girls. 
mm-hmm. as getting the, the ladies in there, recognition in there as well. Right. So um, hopefully what we're, what we're trying to do will create some momentum and some funds that will allow students who would have probably not had a chance to get a foot in the door to be able to march in the Blue Devils, mm-hmm. who has quite a few students of color in that core. Right, right. But when they look like they look like me, or they look like Eric, or they look like Alex or Tony, yeah, it's, you know, you get few and far between. And then if they do look like us, they're usually like star players. Yeah, you know, they're soloists. Yeah, yeah, or they're featured guard members. Like you think of Kurt Washington from uh, Carolina Crown back mm-hmm. in the early yeah. 2000s. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, th- so you look at that and go, you know, you're right. Not, well, not early 2000s, but, but you know, when, when Herbert marched. Yeah, so yeah, sure. We need those. we need those bench players, as they say. We need those utility guys. We yes. need the, the third trumpet. We mm-hmm. need the, 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 the not soloist mellophone. We need that, 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 uh, that well, we, you can be honest. We we usually find people of color in our percussion sections, right? You know, yeah. But also, you sometimes they're marching bass five, or, or they're you know, or it's something like that. Mm-hmm. But we usually see our guys in in the in the battery sections. Mm-hmm. But in the color guard and in the wind winds, it's it's become uh, kind of sparse, right? Kind of sparse, yeah. I never have good segues out of this conversation when I talk to Alex or Tony, so I just kind of have to like go, oh, okay, now I'm going to transition to something completely unrelated, so here we go. Um, all right. For the folks listening to us at home and nowhere else because they are smart and are socially isolating, please describe in excruciating detail what shoes you are wearing. I am in socks. <laughs> uh, are but they... I took off... Uh-huh, uh-huh. I took off my Nikes. I don't know the name of the Nikes, though. I'm a pure Nike guy. I can't wear anything but Nikes on my feet. All right. All right. I'll allow it. And But I look at you, and I feel inadequate. I mean, I'm looking at 30 shoes right now. Oh, you 30 look, pairs of there's shoes. a little more than that, but thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah. I was, I was trying to be, you know. Yes. But, you know, my wife thinks I, I have, like, maybe 10 pairs of shoes, and she thinks that is just ludicrous. Wow. Oh, boy. She's just like, yeah. Like, too many shoes. I'm like. I don't have that many shoes. Do you uh, do you so, own any uh, Nike Michael Air Jordans? I had this conversation with a kid uh, a couple of weeks ago. I am a huge Jordan fan, mm-hmm. you know, and grew up loving him. I, being a Carolina fan, it was awesome. Yeah, but I didn't have the money to pay for Jordans. <laughs> they looked great. Yeah, I have never put a pair of Jordans on my feet. Really? Wow. Really? Wow. That's Never heavy. put a pair of Jordans on my feet. What um, what shoe size are you in men's, Mark? Uh, an athletic shoe, fifteen. Oh my! Well, I'm 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 basically half. Not I'm almost half your shoe size. So, <laughs> I I was gonna say maybe 15. maybe it's something that's not expensive. A fifteen. Holy smoke! Yeah. Well, maybe we'll start a so, GoFundMe to get Mark Hoskins his first pair of Jordans. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd what, be cool. What are your Classic favorite Jordans too? Oh, you want oh you want the expensive ones, the red, black, and white ones, huh? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we'll have to sign up a couple. We'll do what drum corps kids do now and not work and just do GoFundMe's and beg for money. So GoFundMe, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, brother up. Yeah, exactly. So this is a weird question to ask everybody right now, but for the last six months, I, I what's next for you, Mark? How's, how's it going? <laughs> you know, we started school virtually on Monday. Uh-huh. And it. I'll be honest with you, I'm an old soul. Mm. Um, it's been it's a hard sell for me. 
um, you know, the, the virtual thing and, and, and just the not having that, that kinetic uh, contact with, with students, being able to see them and say, fix your embouchure, mm -hmm. you know, take a better breath, or that phrasing's not good. You know, we're trying to do these things over the, the computer. And, yeah. You know, I, I, I appreciate all the things that are out there and we're working so hard and we're using smart music and mm -hmm. trying to do this and that. It's not the same. Yeah. And I, I can't wait for the day that, that we're all well and, and, and we're able to be in front of the kids and do the things that we're accustomed to doing. Yeah. So uh, that's that's my my next step is to get over get through the weekend and relax a bit, mm -hmm. but sort of kind of come back at this thing on Monday and see if I can be better. For sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, a mixtape, a coffee? Tony was plugging his coffee brand, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't think so. I, I, I've been so isolated. We've been here as a family unit since, you know, we've gone out, we've gone fishing. You've seen me yeah, on yeah. pictures on Facebook with Chris Romanowski. That's Chris and us, uh, his family and my family, we don't mingle, mm. but we, we get together. We yeah. don't mingle. It's kind of odd. We, we sort of kind of orbit around each other. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the kids swim, and, and they socially distant swimming is kind of crazy. <laughs> and he and I, Chris and I, have known each other since and, and, you know, of course, we want to hug up and dap, but we can't do yeah. that. So we're sitting on separate rocks on the, <laughs> on the, on the lake front, sitting here fishing and talking. Yeah. It's, we've just been isolated, man. We've been trying to stay safe and uh, keep everybody healthy and, and get through all this crazy stuff. Totally. So I don't know if there is anything I can plug other than my cowboys. Oh, oh, God. We're going to edit that out. Oh, boy. Um, well, Mark, I usually lie to everyone, and this is a lie as well. It's been a pleasure to have you here today. You're an, Aside from your Cowboys stuff, you were an absolute delight. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I can only imagine, based on your Facebook posts, how many bags of popcorn kernels you have in your garage back there waiting to be popped. You're popping popcorn well, every day, man. I am the, I am the Orville Redenbacher <laughs> spokesman for popcorn, so... <laughs> you know, uh, you know. I, I as we talked today, I'm a vague person, so uh, you know the the popcorn posts they do mean something. I'm Some sure people have do. to look into it a little uh -huh. bit more. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're there's a, a stash. There is a stash. There's a stash. What's your favorite brand of popcorn? What you got? Just Orville Redenbacher? Is that what it is? You know what? If, if it tastes good, actually, the what is that brand they sell at Costco? It's like gluten free and it tastes like it's buttered already. I have it's it is excellent. Oh. Okay. It's excellent. Well I can't remember what the name of it is, but my wife we she actually got it for the first time when we would drive to Florida to take the kids to Disney. So we ended up getting this popcorn and mm -hmm. I'm like, Man, what is this stuff? Did you pop it last night? No, I got it at Costco. So I'm plugging Costco. Okay. All right. You're plugging Costco. You better than the Cowboys. That's fine. That's fine. I think uh <laughs> I'll settle for you. Um well cool. Well, uh I, I, I guess this is do you have anything funny or witty to say to close the podcast out other than the Cowboys are good? I, I, I have a like horrible that? joke. I'm a horrible <laughs> joke teller, man. Uh <laughs> But I have great popcorn quips, so I don't know. And they have to come to me. I gotcha. can't just make one up on the spot. Well, well, it, it has it has to germinate in my yeah. Brain. Okay. Well, it, you can you can post it in a week and a half when this episode drops. You can you can be like, oh, here we go. That's what I meant to say. Is it is this one worthy of being listened to by hundreds of people? Oh, I, I'm I'm I think it's required listening for anybody who loves popcorn, loves music, 
likes or hates the Cowboys. I, I'm pretty much everyone on this planet should listen to this episode. That's that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. I'm, I'm I'm glad we finally got around to getting you on board since you're a hard man to lock down. You're you're busy. Yeah, it's been crazy. I, I feel like I really haven't done too much this summer though. It's just sort of kind of, you know, things have just been odd. Yeah. You know, I've done more fishing this year than I've done in the last four years combined. So. Mm-hmm. But still no hunting. Those right? kinds of things. No hunting, man. I can't. I I love Bambi. I can't. I can't <laughs> shoot Bambi. <laughs> This episode of Sketchbook Podcast was recorded in Austin, Texas and Marietta, Georgia, and was edited and produced by me, Daniel Mathoya Jr. Our logo is created by John So of Purpose Designs, and our music is provided by Epidemic Sound. If you enjoy Sketchbook, tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns? Email us at sketchbookpodcast at gmail.com. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at SketchbookPod, and join the Sketchbook community on Facebook, at SketchbookPodcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Sketchbook Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Thanks for listening.